Hey everyone, welcome to the Bookish Filmish Podcast, Read, Watch, or DNF, where Mel B and Jackie D break down book-to-screen adaptations, one drunken podcast at a time. And we ask the question, is the book always better? And of course, if you haven't already, please follow and maybe give us five stars. Thank you. A content warning for this episode, we will be touching on some sensitive topics such as substance abuse, eating disorders, and questionable consent. On this week's episode of Read, Watch, or DNF, our first episode. First ever episode. So exciting. So exciting. We follow Andy Sachs as she navigates the difficulties of work-life balance after landing a job as an assistant for a demanding fashion magazine executive and asks the question, did Hollywood make the right decision casting Andy as a naive sweetheart or would we have preferred the chain-smoking cynic? Come join us and find out. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's get into this. I think we are five mimosas in. Jackie D thought we were four in the car. Um, I'm almost certain we're five. I think we're. Five. I'm pretty sure it was five. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was five. Yeah. Uh, Jackie D and I went to brunch this morning. We got a good layer of carbs in our system, but also the mimosas were fast coming because James, our favorite bartender. Um, uh, maybe it's a good thing and a bad thing to bef- befriend your bartender, but it, it seems to work <laughs> out for us. It's maybe not so much our livers, but uh, the rest of us is feeling good. All right, so I mean, we he he yeah. takes care of us. I was I was invited to his wedding and yeah, all that other fun we, stuff. So we are. Yeah. T- isn't that a that's interesting? You, <laughs> you just meet a bartender and go so often that they're like, hey, you know what? Why don't you come to our wedding? That, and you're sitting in your seat for about five seconds and you have a drink in front of you. I mean, yeah, because they just that's know. That's not bad. No, yeah. That's, yeah. you know, when you get to this age, not that we're saying that we're old, but we're, you know, we're, we're there. Okay. We're getting there. Um, we're <laughs> we've not seen 20. Some sh- yeah. We've seen we've some seen shit. Some shit. <laughs> Sorry, Uli. Uh, <laughs> You only have like a handful of really good friends, and I feel like one of them should be a bartender, and the other one should yes. probably be your hairstylist. And that's really all you need, yeah. other than like your actual best friend, which is Jackie for me. Well, yeah, and you know, I think I've succeeded in that because I have you. You're my best friend. Best friend. And I have Tess, who is my stylist, and exactly. I have James. Yeah, we share James. I have Tam for my yeah. hairstylist. I'm growing out a pixie right now, but you know, we'll get there. That's all right. All right. So we're going to jump in. We are definitely um, five mimosas in, like we said, but that doesn't mean we stop there. I am drinking Stella Rosa. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. Um, they sell it at the Walmart. Uh, my husband goes and picks it up. It works for me. And this one is, uh, okay, so the brand, this one's funny. The brand is Stella Rosa. But the the bottle he got this time was Stella Rosso. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it. It's a oh, it is a semi sweet red, kind of sparkling wine. I'm sure it's something more complex than that. But it's fucking good. That's all I have to say. I'm drinking it because we're we're being classy today. We're doing Devil Wears Prada. You know, there's there's class there. We need to raise to that level. Albeit the Walmart level for me. 
Jackie? Super fancy. <laughs> uh, I am drinking a sparkling wine from New Mexico. It is called mm. Jacqueline Leon. The French it is a brute. Yes. Um, it is actually a French company who does champagne in France, but they have wineries in New Mexico. And they do a sparkling wine out of there that they obviously can't call champagne because it is not from that region in the France. <clears throat> yeah, champagne. Uh, but it is very good. I like it a lot. The lovely people at Total Wine had a bottle open and they were doing tastings. So I tried it and it is also my first name, Jacqueline. Um, and it is delicious. Delicioso. So, and I'm drinking it because, you know, fancy schmancy. Fancy Devil Wears Prada. Devil they drink a the lot product. of champagne in that book. They're always a drinking. Lot. Always drinking. And we're going to get into that. Yeah. All the drinking. In the movie, it's more wine, straight wine. But in mm -hmm. the book, it's, it's champagne everywhere. Champagne. Yeah. Yeah. They don't eat, but they drink. Okay. Mm hmm. <laughs> Speaking because of heaven drinking, forbid they should consume a carb. Ever. God, yeah, those fucking carbs. We made sure we layered all the carbs. French toast, yeah. biscuits and gravy, and Jackie got a classic, you know, your your toast and your hash home fries and some eggs. Yeah. Yep. She was there. Okay, so speaking of drinking fancy and Devil Wars Prada, the book and the movie adaptation we're about to get into. During our research phase, we actually found that there is a drinking game. There's several drinking games, but there's one in particular we found um, that Jackie took it upon herself to not necessarily test out, but she she tallied because I'm, I'm oh. happy she did because I don't think Jackie would be here with us today if she actually did this. So no, I am I am not I am not a fan of alcohol poisoning or getting your stomach pumped. Mm. The pieces that I found and. Okay, it's got 14 rules total. <laughs> 14. And my total count for the ones that I caught was 153 drinks. But it starts with a shot, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it says finish your drink before Meryl enters her office for the first time. <clears throat> Which, if they had done a straight book-to-movie adaptation... That would have taken a while. So yeah, you could have you been have sipping on the same drink for probably a good 45 minutes. A movie, they just jumped but, right in. Oh, yeah. When she finally enters the office, um, you're supposed to take a shot. <laughs> After okay, so that, you finish the drink, and then when she gets in, you take the shot. Yes. Oh, <laughs> even better. Okay. Yeah. One of the biggest rules that I found that if you took a drink, you would probably end up in the hospital was drink whenever they say Miranda. <laughs> that was 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 43 times that I caught. Jesus. Oh my God. Uh, the total count for all of the rules was 153. So 153. And again, drinks. <sighs> wait, One of those wait, being uh... a shot. Wait, that is 150 full drinks, or like you take a sip? I I think it's just a sip. It has to be a sip. Nobody can survive this. Is if you're so what if, if you're you have, drinking. 
Okay, so like a nor- <clears throat> what's a like a a shot is what one ounce. Yeah. So I would say if you took that, a sip is an ounce. You know, shot per whatever, and then there's like four shots per glass of wine. Blah blah blah. Remember in health class we learned what the breakdown was there. Um, yeah. So hundred. What was it? One hundred and fifty. What? Three. One hundred and fifty-three. So one hundred and fifty-three ounces, give or take, of alcohol. Because yep. didn't you say you really did? You you pretty sure you missed a few? Oh, I'm sure one hundred percent. I missed a few. And so I'm not saying like Jesus. three or four that I missed. I'm saying that it's probably a good twenty to thirty that I missed. Because some of the other rules are you have to drink whenever they say fashion. <laughs> yeah. You have to drink whenever they say magazine. Well, okay. Um, drink whenever somebody drinks coffee or booze. All the time. Yeah. Because uh, there's no and water. I definitely missed some of those. No, none. Um there was one that I didn't tally anything, and it was drink whenever Meryl is feeling the fuck out of her fantasy. Wait, what? That, yeah. Drink whenever Meryl is feeling the fuck out of her fantasy. That is so totally subjective, it's not even funny. So anytime Meryl Streep, as Miranda, is sitting there being like, hmm... And thinking when somebody's talking to her, does that count? Which yeah, that happens weird. at least five times in the movie. <clears throat> oh, and the other big one was drink whenever someone mentions a famous fashion designer or brand. Um, every scene. Yeah. Every scene. Which is yeah. actually really funny to me because if you look at the... Okay, so <laughs> in the beginning of the book, before you even start, like where you're talking about like the copyright information, up at the top it says, The Devil Wears Prada is a work of fiction. Sure. Names, characters, mm-hmm. businesses, organizations, places, events, and incidents. That's a lot. Either are the product yeah. of the author's imagination or are used fictitiously. But uh, um, I, I don't... Okay, we'll get to that. But I was... I really was contemplating this for a while, sober contemplating. I'm like, is this actually accurate? Because there's a lot of stuff that's described in both the movie and the book that you can Google. And it's not fictitious. Mm-hmm. So, okay, whatever. And it says any resemblance of actual persons, living, dead, events, or, or locales is entirely coincidental. This sounds like the beginning of a South Park episode where, you know. <laughs> well, and, and that... Begs the question of why Anna Winter was not invited to the premiere. Yeah, because, um, okay, okay, sure, this isn't about Anna Winter. By the way, who is my spirit animal? I love Anna yeah. Winter. I happen to be a manager in the sense supervisor myself. I am a boss lady. Um, and I channel at every given moment Anna Winter. I My perfection day is when I have just, I am her. Because I'm a little bit too friendly at right now to consider that I'm not saying she's not friendly. I'm saying that there's some things I need to be less apologetic as a woman in a leadership position as she is. Um, but yeah, so they mention her several times in the book, even though she's, this isn't supposed to be about her. Uh, mm-hmm. but in the movie they don't. And I just, I really feel 
like they should have invited her because this is a big part. You know, and she makes yeah. a mention to this in her master class, which I actually started to force feed down Jackie's uh, throat here the other day. Because I, I subscribe to Masterclass. Anna Wintour has a uh, class, Masterclass being the name that she does about, I think it's called Being a Boss. And then obviously she goes into like the fashion industry and being an editor-in-chief and all the great stuff that she does. But really the premise of her Masterclass is her management style. Um, and one of the funny things in there is she actually mentions, because they're talking about her uh, management style and what she considers to be a good employee or a good assistant. And one of the questions the producers ask is like, well, what do you look for in uh, that would make a good assistant? And she says, well, first, one that doesn't write a book about me. And I thought, perfection. Absolute perfection. Oh, yeah. Love you, Anna. Totally. <laughs> Okay, so where were we? I think we got off in 10. Okay, so drinking game. That drinking game, um, warning here for anyone who wants, to, is a fan of drinking games, maybe uh, you don't do this one. Or before you start, you just pick out one or two that you're going to stick to. Um, because we are just starting out here. It's our first podcast. Uh, we don't want to be brought up on any sort of charges about you getting alcohol poisoning um, or passing out, blacking out, doing something stupid. So we are not condoning this drinking game. Well, I am not, Jack. No, I definitely am not because, like I said, I did I did not do the drinking game during watching the movie, but I tallied the numbers, and when I came to the end, I was like 153, and I know I missed some stuff, and that that's a trip to the hospital. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I'm if seeing another one far. of the rules. Drink any time <laughs> Emily Blunt is blunt. Also That's pretty right. subjective. But it's also but, her full character. Yeah. Anytime she opens her mouth, you can assume that you're going to take a drink. Does she ever say anything nice? <clears throat> ever? No. Which, no. I don't know if we're going to get into this later, but that was a kind of a departure from the book character a little bit because yeah. in the book character she wasn't as i don't know how heartless to put it. yeah yeah i think she was more brainwashed in the book heartless in the movie yeah mm-hmm. okay that's a good transition that brings us to our next we're going to get into this deeply now um, so the premise of this podcast for us is we decided a while ago, we love to read books. We love to watch movies. And we say a lot, almost all books, or should I say, excuse me, all movies, shows, etc., are based off some sort of book along the way. Do they follow it, you know, toe for toe? Maybe not. Sometimes not. It's an adaptation. That's the whole word. If you look at the definition of adaptation, there's some creative liberties taken there. But what we decided is, Who's going to read the book first and who's going to watch the movie first and then we swap. And the thought process behind that was a lot of times, especially if you're an avid reader, you come across the book first, you read it, then, you know, five, six years, maybe 10, maybe longer down the road, there, there's a movie that comes out or a show and you go in like, oh, I love this book. Loved it. Absolute favorite from my childhood. I think for Jackie and me, that could have been uh, Harry Potter or even Twilight from our generation, us reading that when we were younger and going, you know what? 
we liked these books. They were they were good. We connected with them. Then we watched the movie and we go, what the fuck happened? Sorry, Uli. Sorry, Jackie's mom. <laughs> um, we go, what happened here? This is absolutely awful. But is it because we read the book first and we already had that in our minds? Because a lot of people love, they love the Harry Potter franchise, the movies. They love the Twilight franchise. There are people that are absolutely fanatic about the movies and then the characters and actors that are associated with it. Um, so we decided, let's see. One of us will read it first. One of us will watch it first. And we'll swap and see if our uh, opinions of it are affected by that. We will caveat this for this episode. We, Jackie and I both have watched the movie at some point in the far past. I think it's been several years since I've seen the movie, but Jackie went ahead and watched it first. I read the book first and then we swapped. So I, I read and hmm, what can I say about this? Even though it's been a few years since I've watched the movie, I think I was definitely like my opinion. I kept thinking about the book because there's certain characters in those that are very uh, memorable. Meryl Streep as Miranda Priestly is probably the, the biggest one. Um, <laughs> so for me reading it, anytime Miranda comes up, I immediately have Meryl Streep in my brain. And we have a section down later. We're going to talk about who we think should have been cast for it. And I'm going to tell you right now, I can't, I cannot think. We've had a month we've been working on this. I cannot think of anyone else that could have played Miranda because Meryl has just nailed it. Jackie, what do you think? Okay. If we're talking about Miranda in the book, this is going to sound absolutely crazy. Go for it. I love crazy. Based on the Miranda in the book, and I would like to think that you would have to agree with me, I think that Rachel Dratch would have been the perfect Miranda, just for personality alone. Rachel Dratch. I gotta look that up, because I feel like I know the name. I'm gonna look it up. You keep talking. Dratch, right? Saturday Night Live. She is Oh my god! Yes, she can do extreme like nobody else. I oh, but that is like a caricature. You know what? I I but you know what? When I because I'd I'd seen the movie way beforehand, and I had the Meryl Streep character in mind, and then when I read the book, because she screams a lot in the book. Oh, she she is super demanding and very, very self-centered. And to me, Rachel Dratch would be perfect for that. Oh, oh, that, but that would be like a pure, I think that would be even more comedy than the one Meryl Streep was in. Because yeah, she's just a caricature. Probably. That's funny. Okay, Rachel Dratch. Rachel, what was it? it? Saturday Night Live, right? Or yeah, yeah, Saturday yeah. Night Live. And she did. She was on there for several seasons, um, probably around the time that Tina Fey and um, oh my god, what's her name? And Will the, Ferrell and Will all Ferrell, of them, yeah, the blonde one too. Yep. Uh, yeah. So that's that cast, and she did like the what was the one that she did. Oh my god! It was like the you didn't know if she was a woman or a man. Oh, um, Pat. 
Pat. Yes, yeah. Pat. That was her. Okay, hold on a second. I don't know if that was Rachel Dratch. I think that might have been well before her time. I think that might have been the Rob Schneider, Adam Sandler time frame. Really? All right. Clearly, um, we're not sober enough to recall this information (laughs) without Googling it full time. We don't have the time in this podcast to do that. So we'll leave it up to you guys. We'll do later research and we'll post uh, what our findings are. But you know what? I... I don't disagree with you, but I think that would have definitely been a way different feel for the movie. Um, yeah, Rachel Dredge. <laughs> well, the only other other one that I can think of, and uh, give me a minute, come back to me. I will. I will let you know. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Jackie's going to think about that while we uh, press on here. So I did read the book first, and the book that I read was the paperback edition, um, which is 360 pages. I ordered it off Amazon. Uh, the cover is the one that gives off, like, super Cruella de Vil vibes, well, at least for me, like the woman in the red with the knee-high boots and the devil tail. Um, I, you know, I'm going to say this about the book that's so silly. I love a paperback that's flimsy like this. It just It's easy to hold. It's nice to read. So it's a it's a good little book, 360 pages. So for readers like Jackie D and myself, this is definitely not a heavy lift. We're reading like you know, Crescent City, things like that, where we're talking 800 to 1,000 pages in a couple days. With so, this so book, much character development and yes. stuff going on. It's not even funny, but they're amazing. Amazing. And we're waiting with bated breath for the Akatar series to be finally be casted and released on Hulu because once that comes around, we will definitely be doing a reread and doing a, a podcast episode about that, um, which I think we've already decided we're just going to hate the, the show no matter what. But, you know, whatever. We'll see. Uh, yeah, so 360 pages, easy read. Um, I think if anyone's interested in reading it after this podcast, it, it's quick. The writing style is pretty easy. Nothing crazy in here. It's a, what you'd call a chick lit. I looked that up. It's called chick lit. Um, during that time, the early 2000s, where you had the sort of empowered female character in a contemporary setting um, doing, you know, sex in the city type stuff, I guess. Chick lit. Uh, also, this was my <clears throat> first time ever tabbing a book. Uh, I know it looks like a nightmare to me when I it saw is it. a nightmare. This one is a nightmare. <laughs> Jackie, Jackie and I are on camera. I'm showing this one is a nightmare. I've actually been better. We're working on the books for the next episodes. I'm improving. I am improving on my tabbing style. And I actually saw, uh, I have to, I'm going to have to post a TikTok, uh, tagging her in one, but there's a TikTok, a book talker that I follow and she is amazing at tabbing and she has a really good system. Anyway, tangent on tabbing. I, it, I look like a toddler did this. I should have let one of my kids do it. It probably would have happened better. First time tabbing a book. Um, I do like it. My method for it was tabbing sections that either, you know, I want to see if it contradicted with the movie, uh, major plot points, major character development points. I had a, a post-it or a tag specifically for things that I absolutely hated. I made a point to do that. Uh, and then 
one that was kind of like WTF moments that I wanted to, or talking points that I wanted to pull out. So paperback for me, the movie I went ahead and watched on Apple library. Cause I do actually own the movie. Uh, I did watch it several years ago and my kids watch it. So that's, that's my, what I use Jackie. Uh, the book I read on Kindle, so whatever year it was published on Kindle, I read that. And then the movie I watched on Stars on YouTube because my husband has nothing better to do than watch TV at work because he sits there and waits a whole lot. (laughs) And so we happen to have Stars so that he can watch movies at work. It's going to be funny how often we're going to be able to drag people into this. I have nothing to do with this podcast, (laughs) just the shit on them. And we're not going to do it on purpose. It's just (laughs) going to happen naturally. And uh, unfortunately, should we we put a plug in for our friend, Aaron, who is super psyched about this? Aaron. uh, Miss Aaron, our lovely coworker and friend. Uh, she's super stoked about this. She may be the only one out there that is super stoked about this. So we just want to dedicate every single episode to her. So here's to you, Miss Erin. I think it's because she wants us to do Aragon. Aragon. But when we do get to Aragon, no. I don't think (laughs) I can bring myself to do that. Eventually. I think uh, if we get enough mimosas deep, I think we can do it. But we, we, I think we did promise that when we do that, if we do it, Erin will be a co-host for that. We might even just hand yes. over the reins and let her take care of it. Cause she has a yes. lot of, a lot of words to share about Aragon. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So let's actually talk about the book and the movie that we're featuring in this episode. It is March. It is women's history month. So we decided we're going to focus on strong or infamous female characters. The first one we did is Devil Wears Prada. We have Miranda Priestley and Andy Sachs, two women on sort of opposite ends of the spectrum here. Or or maybe are they? I guess we'll debate that. Uh, So the book was published originally by by Random House. The author is Lauren Weisberger. And funny enough, I posted some initial stuff on social media you know, tagging Devil Wears Prada, et cetera, et cetera. And then the author <laughs> actually followed and liked our stuff. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. We can't be too So much pressure. This. So much pressure. Uh, but I did follow <laughs> her back. And I, I think she's absolutely amazing. Lauren Weisberger, she has a whole bunch of different novels that she puts out. So definitely go and look her up. And if you're into this sort of genre book, or even if you're not, I, I would say go check out her style. Her writing style for me is fine. It's easy. And sometimes that's really all you need. You know, I don't need super deep world building or um, crazy character building. Sometimes it's just a nice, easy read. So definitely Lauren Weisberger. So book published in 2003 by Random House. I think it was actually, hold on, I have a note here. When I initially looked it up, the book I have says Random House, but I think initially it was actually published by Broadway Books, which is a child publishing company of Random House. I could be wrong. Jackie and I don't know a ton about this stuff. Uh, so if I'm wrong, don't don't sue us, okay? But that's what I looked up first. And then the, the movie... Yeah, the movie was published in, or produced and distributed in 2006. 
Yeah, so that's uh, not a long time after movie to film or movie to screen. Um, typically, you're you're looking at stuff where it's it's years because the book has to come out, you know, have a good following, then haven't even just be considered and picked up and all the contract stuff. So this, I think, is relatively quick. If well, it wasn't already one planned of our away. one of our future episodes is going to be uh, the Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. That book was published in the 80s and the series didn't come out until a few years ago yeah so we're talking like 30 (coughs) over three decades it took for that that to be picked up for screen adaptation so this is definitely relatively quick three years um even more even less than that because if you think about it the book was out and then for the time that it takes to film produce edit all that stuff and, and for a movie I don't even know when it, I, we didn't, you know what, now that I think about it, we didn't even look that up when it was picked up for a screen adaptation. But three years from publication to it being released, that's really, really quick. The book did mm-hmm. spend about six months on the New York Times bestseller, which I guess is good. I think the books usually stay on the bestseller list for that long. Is that a long time or is that a short time? How many years? It's six months. Oh, six months. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can look at the metrics for that after the fact. Yeah, that's a. I remember looking it up. I was like, oh, six months. That's not bad. But then I was like, oh, is that is that long? Is that short? Mm, whatever. Maybe somebody will respond. And I think let us it's. Know if that's I think good. it's respectable. Yeah, it's respectable. Definitely respectable. I like that word. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so <laughs> we looked up the reviews also of these. <laughs> uh, since I was reading first. I went ahead and looked up the Goodreads review. Generally, overall review for this is a 3.77 out of 5 for the book. And then the movie, Jackie, what'd that get? Uh, 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. So I think that relates, right? Seems like yeah. the same. Oh yeah, seven, six point nine out of yeah. All right, so so what the what the public is saying is that their perception of the book and then their reaction to the movie, irrespective of each other, is about the same. Um, and I, I would like to say for the IMDb reviews that I found, and that six point nine out of ten that I found, it's mm-hmm. user reviews not critic reviews right so we're not talking about the the roger eberts or anything like that no we don't we're talking about people who have imdb accounts and they put their unfiltered sometimes censored apparently (laughs) uh reviews for the movies yeah we're talking about people like you and i and uh everyone that's finds himself listening to this podcast that that may also be five mimosas deep and now i'm another glass i man i got through this glass quick uh Um, that find themselves have a (laughs) jackie and i are me excuse me i just (laughs) jackie and i are putting in work right now okay yeah but so we're saying people like you and me Watching this book, uh, watching this book, yeah. For anyone out there that watched the book, uh, for me who read the book and for <laughs> anyone who watched the book, watched the movie, Jesus, uh, going in and find themselves in bed at night with their phone. You know what? I'm going to make a comment about this. These yeah. are the people we're talking about. 
Okay. So we're going to get into the reviews here in a second, but we wanted to talk first about the characters. Um, we decided to go with this route. We're going to talk about the characters first. Then we'll talk a little bit about the reviews and we'll talk about obviously the plot, the theme and so forth with the rest of the book. But the characters I think in here in both these stories, because they're, they're slightly different, um, are the most important. So in the book, these are the characters that I picked out as the most important. We have Andy Sachs or Andrea or Andrea, however you want to pronounce it. Andrea Sachs, who would be considered the main character. Miranda Priestley, who would be considered the antagonist, I guess. Her 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 nemesis. <laughs> also, I would consider Emily in the book. It's the same Emily that you're thinking about in the movie. Alex from the book, who is her boyfriend, Andy's boyfriend, Alex. I'm going to say that one more time. Alex is her boyfriend. And then also her best friend, which is Lily. And Lily does make an appearance in the movie, but I listed her as a major character in the book because she's definitely more ingrained in Andy's life and the story of the book. Jackie, what do you think about the movie? So the movie, obviously, Andy Sachs, or like you said, Andy, or Andrea, or Andrea, um, or and Miranda Priestley, same antagonist. Uh, the movie boyfriend is Nate. And then Nigel, played by the great, wonderful, amazing Stanley Tucci. Love Stanley Tucci. You cannot love say a bad thing about him in my book. Yeah. <clears throat> and if you do, just don't say uh, it to me. <laughs> you also have a little bit of Lily in the movie. And then you also have James Holt. And then there's Christian, who is in both the book and the movie. James is in the book and the movie, but as far as I'm concerned, totally different people. Hmm. They, share the, they share the same first name, but there's absolutely nothing the same about them from both James or Christian? James. James. Oh, oh really? Because James in the book is kind of a background character, just kind of like pokes yeah. his head in and said, hey, I'm one of five token people in this movie, in this book. <laughs> and then so in the a... movie, he's he's actually a major player in the movie. Yeah, I agree with that. I think book major character. <clears throat> yeah. And yeah. even Christian, because they they drive the plot in the book. Yeah, I mean not in the book, in yeah. the movie. Sorry, we're yeah. we're we're drinking here. Okay, we're go- we're gonna mess up. I'm talking Don't about judge. the movie. Don't judge. Movie. Don't judge. They they drive the plot in the movie. Where in the book we're gonna get into that. Mm, like they're there, but if you took them out, would it make a difference? Well, and one of the things that I read was that the guy that ended up playing James in the movie had tried out for the part of Nigel. Oh. Yes. But But she decided that... (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it was the guy that played James Holt in the movie said, I've already played a character like this. Can I play somebody else in the movie? And went after the James part, not the Nigel. And that's when they brought Stanley Tucci in. 
who, by the way, is married to Emily Blunt's sister. Really? I did yes. not know that. I did yep. not know that. And for as much as I love Stanley Tucci, I did not know that. Who? Wait. All right. I, love, so the actor I that so played... love Stanley Tucci. God, he's so good. You know, there's something going around about like him being smelly. And I hate it. I don't, obviously, I don't know. I don't, I've never stood next to the man, but I feel like that's blasphemy. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I think his personally far, personality far outweighs any smelliness that could potentially be a problem. Who was the actor that played James Holt? Wait, hold on. I'm going to Google this. Uh, da- wait, Daniel Sunjata? Is that how you say his name? I know I've seen him in a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Okay, don't don't come for me. I'm going to go San- Daniel Sunjata. Oh, Daniel Sunjata Condon. Condon? Condon? Okay. So I he's been so. in a ton of stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, okay. He all was right. in a show that lasted for less than a season on, I think, Fox that Nick really loved that got canceled. Oh. Yeah, it sounds about right. Oh, he was in Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Hey, what's up? What's up? Um, apparently, he was in The Dark Knight Rises, too. That's a this is a weird one because he's that face where you look at him and go, like I know that actor, even though I just, literally just had to Google his name. Um, yeah. And now I'm looking at his IMDb, what he's been in. Because when you say that he said, I've already played a character like this. Can I play something else? And I'm looking like, when? When have you played a character like this? Like Nigel. Unless the way it was described or the description, you know, same thing, was different than how it ended up. Because Stanley Tucci is amazing. It came in and was like, listen, hold my beer. Uh, uh, yeah, Stanley Tucci, as far as I'm concerned, can play any character, any role whatsoever, and I would go watch it because I love him that much. He's so good. Yeah, you know what? I'm not going to scroll IMDb anymore, but I'm looking at everything that uh, Daniel Sunjata Condon has been in, and I don't see anything here that screams Nigel. So we're just going to take his word for it and carry on. Major characters. Done. Andy, Miranda, we both agree on those. So you can see yes. that the book to the movie definitely deviates now because we're talking, we have we have different ideas of who's a major character here. Uh, Jackie, while she was doing her research, found out some interesting facts from the good old INDB. Do you want to go ahead and share those? Yeah, uh, one of them was that uh, Jennifer Aniston, Kim Basinger, Cameron Diaz, Heather Graham, Angelina Jolie, Lisa Kudrow, Helen Mirren, Helen and Mirren. that oh, whole yeah. group that I just listed with Helen Mirren, um, Tatum O'Neill, Gwyneth Paltrow, Michelle Pfeiffer, Julia Roberts, Meg Ryan, Alicia Silverstone, Hilary Swank and Naomi Watts were considered for the role of Miranda Priestly. Wow, let's let's talk about that for a second here. So <laughs> Jennifer Jennifer Aniston. Let's just go a quick okay. yay or nay as we go through them. Jennifer Aniston. I'm gonna go nay. I would say possible if you went with the um, movie version of Miranda Priestly, not the book version. Maybe. Yeah, I just, 
I feel like Miranda never giggles. And whenever I think of Gen- Jennifer Addison, you're going to end up with a giggle somewhere. Am I mm. wrong? I could be wrong. All right. Kim, no. Kim, ba- Basinger, Kim Basinger? Bas- Basinger. Is it Basinger or Basinger? Basinger. Basinger. I'm going to go with no, because I know she's a big actress. I've seen her in a lot of stuff. I think one of the things we talked about was L.A. Confidential. She's in that. Mm-hmm. And we might consider that. Oh, that one. movie's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason, whenever I think of, think of Kim Basinger, uh, I just, there's nothing that pops out to me as any sort of character. Yeah, personality. and even though... Even though the Meryl Streep version of Miranda in the movie is super subdued, I think that Kim Basinger might be a little too subdued for that role. Yeah, I think, yeah, because she's, she is a huge actress and she's definitely talented. We're not saying she's not. I'm not saying she's not. I just know from personal experience when you, if somebody came to me and like, Kim Basinger, what about her? I go, she's blonde. Oh, I don't know. Well, and honestly, the two things that pop into my, or three things rather, is um, movies she did in the 80s where she was a mermaid. <clears throat> Splash. It was Splash. Wait, no. Um, that was, was that her or was that the other one? The No, I think that was Kim Basinger. No, it wasn't. Let me, let me look it up. up. No, I'm going to look it up. Okay. You keep going. Okay. Um, so, I think of Splash, I think of Ellie Confidential, and I think of her playing Eminem's mom in 8 Mile. Oh, that's right! She yeah. did another sort of lackluster <clears throat> background character. Yeah. No, no, no. Splash is Daryl Hannah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Daryl Hannah. Let me let me check. There's no Kid oh. Basinger in here. No. Daryl Hannah. This is what this is what. Um, but this is a perfect example where we're talking about. Sparkling wine like, does. We're, no, it's not even that. It's just you have a blonde actress who has been in some big stuff, but just sort of fades into the back. You're like, she's blonde. Well, there's, Got it. there's Vicki Vale in Batman, the Michael Keaton. My Again, lovely comes, Pittsburgh guy. If you come to me and you're like, hey, Batman, Michael Keaton, who's in there? I'd be like, Tommy Lee Jones? And um, uh, she was in she was in Fifty Shades of Grey too. Oh, she was oh, the Fifty dom. Shades Freed. Yeah, she was his dom. Yes. yes, but even then, like I don't remember it being Kim Basinger. Kim Basinger. Uh, I just remember the dom. See again, she, like she yeah. just. It could be a good thing if anyone out there is like a drama snob and you're like, that's the point. You need they, they need to become the character. She did it. And I don't remember yep. her. I remember the character. 100%. Yep. Okay. So I'm okay. going to go with Nay and then, Kim. And then we have Cameron Diaz. That is <laughs> a straight up no for me. Absolutely fuck no. Sorry, Uli. Um, Heather Graham. No. Because anytime no. Heather Graham to me screams Austin Powers and Boogie Nights. And uh, also she was in Scrubs. For a little bit. Again, no. My husband is watching Scrubs, and she plays a psychiatrist in Scrubs for a few episodes. One yeah, season. I'm good. I'm good. But there is one movie that she was in. Um, hold on, let me look it up. I want to say it's called Cake. She was really good in that. 
We are super prepared for this podcast, obviously. You can't find it anywhere. Cake? Um, Yes. Uh, It was made in 2005, and it is with David Sutcliffe, who I also enjoy. Um, Mm -hmm. He was in... Uh, for those of you listening to the podcast, I like to fill empty space with, with making a little bit random of a, singing noises. A little bit of a jazz. Uh, yeah. While you're looking at that, um, do you know there's also a 2014 cake with Jennifer Addison? Yes. So that I'm just going to go. a decidedly different um, avenue okay. than the one I'm talking about. Well, I'm just going to go with the fact that both Jennifer Addison and Heather Graham were in a movie named Cake. I'm going to go with a no for this. Okay. Okay. So, but that is a pretty decent movie if you need an escape and don't really want to think about too much. Cake. Next one. But not the Jennifer Addison one. No. That one is, from what I understand, uh, deep and full of a lot of feeling it's and just jennifer addison just trying like, to not be what rachel from friends yeah that's basically all rachel. her career is now not that we don't like listen yeah. we love for everyone out there that loves jennifer addison we get it we're with you team jennifer but she's yep. rachel anyway angelina jolie angelina jolie i'm gonna say no yeah absolutely no i love angelina she again is my spirit animal uh maleficent hello but I'm with yeah. you. No. Amazing. Uh, next one is Lisa Kudrow, which I think is a possibility. Yeah, but again, that would be <sighs> too funny? Is that weird? Then I'm like, no, it's too funny. I don't, I don't want too funny. It too slapstick, maybe? Slapstick, yes, that's good. I, yeah, slapstick. We don't need slapstick. That's what the word is for the other one you were talking about earlier. Whatever, SNL one. Oh, Rachel Dratch. Rachel yeah. Dratch. Slapstick. We don't want no slapstick here. Yeah. Then Helen Mirren. Okay. I'm not going to lie. Helen Mirren to me. You're a no? No. You don't, you don't, no. Really? I feel like that could be a yes. Like a yay. Hasn't she played the queen? So? Anna Winter is like a queen? I understand that, but... Still, okay. If we're talking about strict book-to-movie adaptation, Helen Mirren would be the worst possible choice. Because, like I've said before, the movie, or the book Miranda, is nothing but screaming, and me, 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 and this is what I want, and I'm going to be totally selfish. Unstable. And one of the key examples of that that I have is the Met thing, which we'll mm-hmm. probably talk about later. We will. Um, yeah. Uh, but Helen Mirren, I think, is way above the book Miranda. Okay. She's okay, on you. the same level, if not higher, than the movie Miranda. But book Miranda, no. Yeah, okay. Book, yeah. Okay, I'm with you. No. But if we're... Helen Mirren and Meryl Streep to me are just both of them absolutely stellar. So I'm oh, a little they're again in their own league. Yeah, 
So remember what I said, I'm a little bit biased on this. I'm not going to lie. When we're talking about Mer- uh, Miranda Priestley, I can only consider Meryl Streep. So Helen Mirren to me is probably the only next substitute. So I, okay. I got you. But book-wise, yeah, I'm with you. Next one is Tatum okay. O'Neill. And I can tell you this. I The only thing I've ever seen Tatum O'Neill in consciously, I, I should remember, if I've seen her in something else, I was not aware it was her, but Paper Moon. Where she, where she was like eight years old. She was in a movie with her father. And I love that movie. Awesome movie. Anyone out there? Paper Moon. It's like in the 70s sometimes. She won an Academy Award. I think she's one of the youngest ever to win the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress or something. Was that with Mickey Rourke? I don't think Mickey Rourke was in there. No, it was Tatum O'Neill and Sean O'Neill, her dad. Oh, okay. It's a great movie. Is so good. I honestly don't know if I've seen anything with her in it. Yeah, I. Other than that, I, the last time I really could consciously say I, I know who Tatum O'Neill is is when she was eight years old. So I'm just going to go with Nay. I have no idea what she's been doing since, and if she could pull it off. Mm-hmm. Okay, next one is Gwyneth Paltrow. No, no, fuck no. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Abs- there's nothing. No. One of my favorite all-time movies is Shakespeare in Love. I love that movie. But hate her. I love Gwyneth Paltrow. No! <laughs> Mel is no longer friends with me. Nope, this is it. This is, um, like, this is the first and last podcast. Yeah. This is this is the breaker. Right here. No, I do love that movie. Um, I when, when did that movie come out? A long time ago. We are old, Jackie. That's what's happening right now. We are aging ourselves. Well, I just want to see uh, where I was <laughs> when that movie came out. Because there's a good chance I was in a place that... Um... No, actually, I was still in high school when that movie came out. See, that's how old we are. Jackie, don't say things like that. <laughs> so I'm not that old. Uh, I was still okay. in high school. <laughs> That's us living in tonight. Okay, but you have to understand that's around the same time frame that Romeo and Juliet came out. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet came out with you mean the two um, the nineteen ninety nine was that yeah with Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Claire, Claire Danes. Danes ugly so everybody face. was Shakespeare obsessed yeah yeah everybody. that was that time yeah. yeah um I do really really like that movie and I love Joseph Fiennes I love Fines because oh, the Fines brothers of, are amazing. Uh, the actor that's in Shakespeare in Love is the one that is in Handmaid's Tale that is our next, not next, but the one yeah. after that episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he plays, yeah. uh, uh, what do they call him? The Commander. Yeah, the Commander. Yeah. Uh, we're playing Six Degrees of Podcast right now. Yeah. And so Jackie... his wife... In the in the show is Hannah from Chuck. Dexter. So we need it's also yeah, Chuck, so but also to, Hannah from Dexter. Yeah, yeah, which everyone hates. I agree with them. So Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> I'm a fucking no, f no, definitely no, no with all the fires. For this know. role, uh, for, or for this role, I'm a no for Gwyneth Paltrow. Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer? Pfeiffer, yes, also a no, no. I, th- I think yes. Why? Because I'm still basing it off the Meryl Streep Miranda. And I think M- Michelle Pfeiffer can pull off that 
from she's a queen in the second Maleficent, like that just real bitchy, snide, put together queen. Uh, my my viewpoint of Michelle Pfeiffer is um, hairspray <laughs> and um, Grease too. Mm. We don't talk about Grease too ever. Um, you can ignore it all you want, but if you forget about it, then history is doomed to repeat itself. All right, so we don't agree. We're going to agree to disagree on Michelle Pfeiffer. Julia Roberts, absolutely yeah. no. No. Megan Ryan, Meg, Meg Ryan, no. No. Alicia Silverstone? Alicia Silverstone, fuck? definitely no. What? I don't absolutely. even understand why she was in the running for this. Who? Who are these people that are like, you know what? I don't know. Clueless. And Hillary Swank can be rolled into that. Yeah, no, Hillary Swank, absolutely not. She's, don't get me wrong, I love her. I think she's amazing. Absolutely just stunning actress, talented. Mm-hmm. But for this, no. Naomi, Naomi Watts. Watts is no. questionable. No. she's She falls into that Kim Basinger where she's blonde. I know she's a good actress, but she just kind of blends in. So there we okay, go. So of that of that list, we have determined that what Helen Mirren is yeah. the only viable option. Possibly, if we're going just on movie standards. <laughs> you liked Lisa Kudrow for if we're going on book standards. I think you're batshit crazy, but you know whatever. No, Romeo and Michelle, come on. Yes, um, yes, that is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. masterpiece. We're not talking about that right now. We're talking about Miranda Priestly, aka one day. One day we're going to have to schedule a movie viewing of Romy and Michelle with me, you, and Lisa. We're going to have to bring her out here. Hell yeah! Yeah. All right. Okay. The other interesting fact I found um, for the movie was Emily Blunt was discovered in a parking lot. She had been auditioning for Aragon, which we've <laughs> mentioned before. We always come back to Aragon. Every single episode is going to be this way. <laughs> yeah, it was also in production by uh, 20th Century Fox, but was turned down. Uh, she was turned down after multiple callbacks. Uh, the producer from Devil, Devil Wars Prada, decided to put her on an audition tape more than 100 actresses were considered for the part and blunt had returned to england to recover when the fox executives offered her another audition this time they asked her to dress more like her character in her tape she wore jeans and flip-flops i love it <laughs> like we're gonna need more prada there's not enough yeah. product. And she's like, I am a starving, struggling actress here. Where the fuck am I going to get product? Sorry. Yeah. Old Navy jeans and old Navy flip-flops. That's what mm-hmm. I would wear. Because we have to, everyone has to remember, this is before Emily Blunt was Emily Blunt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which she was amazing in this movie. I loved her. She, she really was. Especially when she gets into the accident and she's in the hospital and she just takes the pudding cup and starts shoveling food into her mouth. I don't think there was a more relatable scene in that movie than that. 
Just Definitely not. <laughs> losing equipment here. Yeah. And I've already made a comment about Anna Wintour talking about indirectly in her just absolutely boss style about this movie. She, <laughs> I think people, if you don't have Masterclass, but I think probably a lot of people don't. But if you do, if you do have Masterclass or if you can do a free trial, please go and watch Anna Wintour's or listen to it, her Masterclass. Because she definitely makes a few little snide remarks about this movie. And it is chef's kiss to live for. Okay. This fucking Michelle Pfeiffer. Alicia Silverstone is probably the most ridiculous one on there. I think so too. Like why would they even consider that? Alright. Let's jump into the reviews we actually found. So found some one stars and some five stars. There were a lot of uh, middle ground ones. I think the numbers that I found were, generally speaking, it was 3.77 out of five. There were almost 830,000 ratings, 9,798 reviews at the time when I looked this up. So people that actually rated it and posted a review. The majority of the reviews were four stars at about 33%. Five stars were 29% and one star was uh, 3%. So overall, it's on the upper end of the rating scale in Goodreads. So generally speaking, people enjoyed the book, but there are a few that did not. I found two one-star reviews that are absolutely golden to me and I want to share them with you. First one-star review that I love is... One of the few times the movie far surpasses the book. I couldn't even finish it because the characters are so unlikable. I picked this one because I personally relate to this review. If I were to give it a one star, I probably would have written this review. The next one, golden, absolutely stellar review. One star, it goes, this book is 85% descriptions (laughs) of clothing. Why? And then 15% plot and 90% of it was interlaced with spite. If you've read the book, I think you would, even if you didn't agree with the rating, I think you could agree with the review of this. Because I did. I read that. I was like, you know what? You're, you're on to something. On point. And last but not least of the one stars, my absolute personal favorite is clearly this was a foreign review written in English, so it's a little bit broken, but I think it sums it up (laughs) so well. It goes, one star, it was suck. (laughs) A bullshit. I put one star because the movie was good. Let me repeat that for you. Let me repeat that for you. One star, it was suck, comma, a bullshit, period. I put one star because C-U-Z, the movie was good. I'm like, you know what? I see you. I hear you. I respect you. There's a five-star review, though, that I honed in on. I was like, I have to add this one. So five stars. If you're someone who hates your boss, this book is for you. Golden. Perfection. I can agree with that. Yeah. Although I can personally say I do not hate my boss. Shh, I'm her boss. 
we would not be doing this podcast if I hated my boss. Or would we? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so for movie reviews, uh, IMDb, it was uh, overall 6.9 out of 10 stars. And from what I see on IMDb, there are 402,142 user reviews and again like i said before these are not movie critics these are users a one out of ten i love this review just because it's more a critique of imdb and their posting policies (laughs) than the actual movie it leaves a whole lot of questions unanswered so This is a review. This is one of the most annoying and anger-inducing movies I've ever seen. I've seen a lot of boring movies, a lot of, quote, comedies, end quote, that weren't funny. A lot of movies that I stopped watching because I couldn't even understand what they were supposed to be about. But this one actually made me furious. But what makes me even more furious is the fact that IMDb uses a computer algorithm to scan reviews for naughty words. And anyone can get around it by simply misspelling the offensive word. (laughs) Whoever wrote the algorithm must be some little old lady Sunday school teacher or a total prude and or religious fanatic. Jesus! This review will never be posted in this form, so go ahead and ban me, IMDb. Either way, I've written my last review. Goodbye and good riddance, IMDb. Well, clearly it was posted, because here we are. (laughs) Yeah, reading it in our podcast. So that was more a criticism for IMDb. And I want to know what about this movie made the reader or the watcher, rather, so furious. I love how this review, they are so angry at the movie that they've now transcended and and redirected their anger at something else. It's like when dogs start fighting and you go to split them up and the dog like turns and and they have no idea what they're doing. That's how angry this movie made this person. They need to redirect the anger to something else. (laughs) Um... But 10 out of 10 on IMDb, and this was my favorite. I saw this and I stopped looking because it was amazing. Um, I like the bit where the lady is really mean to the young girl. I love it. Yeah. Well, then you liked it. That's, yeah. I think the movie got a yeah. point across totally. this point. I like the bit where the lady is really yeah. mean to the young girl. Yeah. Yeah. The whole movie. Yeah. Fantastic. They You're were in heaven in the montage where Miranda keeps, keeps leaving her purse and jacket on Andy's desk, just throwing it on there. So I can say that after reading the book, finally, um, I, I think I tend to lean towards this review yeah. as well. Because you're like, get her. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Fuck Andy. And on that note, let's talk about why both Jackie D, myself, and thousands of thousands of people on Goodreads also say 
Fuck Andy. First off, let's just talk about something real quick. In the movie, Andy is played by the lovely, sweet, innocent, pure-hearted, absolutely amazing Anne Hathaway. Right? Love her. American sweetheart. But can we talk about how Anne Hathaway and Andy in the movie is this sort of pre-transition princess diaries, uh, brunette, curly, sort of frizzy hair character? Mm -hmm. Do we agree on that? Yes. Okay. Okay. So we see Andy, we're like, oh, she's cute. She's definitely, you know, she's not made for the big city because her dad's like, what? She's from Ohio or something uh, in the in the yeah. movie. So now she's in New York, big city, eating her up. Just, oh, no fashion. I wear my sweaters. In the book, she is a blonde. She is a five foot ten, 110 pound blonde. Mm-hmm. And I actually made a note in here. I was like, oh, 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 oh. and also a chain smoking snack yeah. from Connecticut. Yeah. That is Andy. That is what your first introduction to Andy is. She is just this tall, blonde, skinny, I don't give a fuck. I'm from the New York suburbs up in Connecticut. Wasp. And I wrote Wasp. If anyone's not familiar with that, I believe it's what white Anglo-Saxon princess Right? That's a wasp. No, Protestant. Protestant. It's Protestant. actually white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Yeah. I think, I, I remember as a high school, we hear wasps and sometimes they, they uh, uh, swap out Protestant for princess. Um, so I wrote that in our notes, Jackie and I were writing our, our outline the other day. And I looked back and she goes, but Jewish. <laughs> and I forgot about that in the book. She is Jewish. Um, so she's this. Five foot ten, 110 to 115 pound blonde, chain smoking cynic from Connecticut, just like absolutely from a well to do family, uh, which is not the case in the movie. But I just want to make a note of that where in the book, in the movie, and even in the book, but in the movie, they make a, a big deal about, you know, oh, you're a size six, you're a size six, you're a size six, oh, you're so fat. I think even Miranda Priestley at one point goes, you know, the fat girl, frumpy fat girl. Um, I don't know what part of five foot ten, 110 pounds and blonde makes you frumpy fat girl. Am, am I missing I, something? I don't know because I I really wish I was a size eight even. <laughs> I don't think I've been a size eight since 2009. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And they don't talk about her size in the book. It's never mentioned. I mean, I may be incorrect here, but I, I did make a lot of notes. And I'm, from what I can tell is they don't mention her size. But at one point, she does mention her weight. And that's at the beginning. And that's right after she describes a... She went on some trip. I don't... Like, I, I graduated college. I'm going to some third world country. Yeah, backpacking around... Uh, Asia. Yeah, is that, like that, that she got was? dysentery. Dysentery, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. she 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 definitely makes a remark in the beginning of the book about how she lost a lot of weight. So that means when she was to show up at Runway, the magazine headquarters, she was basically she's describing herself as sickly. 
She's like, I'm 5'10", 110 pounds. But I'm thinking, like, how much weight do you actually lose from getting dysentery? I've never had dysentery. I'm knock on wood, thank God. Um, but what are we talking, like, 15, 20 pounds? Like, how much weight do you actually lose? So that that would, if we're talking 110 is our starting point, we let's, let's be generous and say 20. She lost 20 pounds. That means she's 5'10", 130 pounds. How, what? How is that? I wish I were 5'10 and 130 pounds. I would give anything for that. But she's like, ugh. So I mean, even at, even at 5'3, I wish I was not. Uh, 130 pounds. <laughs> There's some of you out there who are like, listen, it is 5'10, 110 pounds. If you are that, as long as you feel confident in your body and you're feeling comfortable, more power to you. There are definitely different body types, but I would think generally speaking, 5'10 and 110 pounds is not scientifically, medically, that is not a fat body. You are just tall and, and kind of skinny. So I could see that if Andy in the movie shows up to fashion industry world, runway magazine, at 5'10", 132 pounds, meaning she's the absolute bottom of the healthy weight. I, It is believable to think that somebody might be like, mm, you're kind of fat. I could see that. But in the book, she shows up at 5'10", 110 pounds, meaning that she should be at the weight and the, body's, the body style that the fashion industry at that time, early 2000s, is like... You got this. Yeah. But they're not. She, is, she sees herself as fat throughout. I think I don't think there's any time in the book where she's like, you know, I look good. I don't think that happens. No, never. I don't remember it. Like the entire time through reading the book, she was always like, what do I have to do to get them to like me? She didn't say it in those many words, but yeah. it was... What do I have to do to myself to make them accept me? And there's times that she would miss meals, not eat, and she would chalk it up in the book to, oh, I'm busy, I'm distracted, here's another day where I'm just too tired to eat. Um, but I, I think, I know for myself, I, re- I saw right through that. I saw she was deep into drinking the Kool-Aid um, Felt like she wasn't the right body type, wasn't right size, and she just uh, started starving herself. But she did. And make a- that was that was one of the things that I noticed a difference in the book and the movie. In the book, she, like you said, drank the Kool Aid. In the movie, she drank the Kool Aid, but was not aware that she drank the Kool Aid. Yeah. Um, she, the Anne Hathaway playing Andy Sachs, she drank the Kool-Aid, but she was kind of still trying to joke about it with her mm-hmm. friends and making light of it, saying, oh, this is just like 12 months that I have to get through. But really, in fact, she was trying to get the people there to like her and accept her. And she was trying to change herself for the sake of this job. 
Yeah, and I think there's a in the movie it's really portrayed as this big character arc where she Miranda kind of chews her up and down. Like I think it was something about the she didn't get the plane for her to get in to see her daughter's play or something like that. It's it's definitely different from the book. Um, so Miranda kind of in her Miranda way dresses Andy down. Like you're, I'm so disappointed. Mm-hmm. And then this character arc happens where Andy goes and finds Nigel in the movie. So you understand because Nigel does not exist in the books. And we'll get to that. Stanley but, Tucci. Stanley Tucci. Um, <laughs> but she goes and finds Nigel and gives us like, oh, so woe is me. She doesn't, she doesn't give me credit for what I do. And then I just feel like I'm underappreciated. And Nigel gives her this sort of wake up speech like, bitch, why, why would she do that? Like, you're doing the bare minimum. Do better. And then Andy's like, and I, I am- wish, I wish somebody had done that in the book. Nobody really did that in the book. Like, I think Emily you are just does it. skating by, just a little bit, but a little not bit, a lot, yeah, and not enough to open Andy's eyes. But Andy, throughout the entire book, like you said, you and I have had discussions about this. Andy, throughout the entire book, is just bitching and moaning about her job. And she drinks the Kool-Aid, but at the same time, she wants to complain about it. And she expects everybody to sympathize with her. Yeah. Everybody. Like, oh my god, I'm here, I'm doing this. Like, what else do you want from me? I got it done. It's like, what you're saying is you did your job. Mm -hmm. Good for you? Good for you? Like, listen, I get it. I'm I'm in a supervisor position. I understand that, you know, making sure you recognize your employees when they're doing something good is absolutely crucial. But if I had to spend my day smacking everyone on the back and high fives and handshakes and well to do's for them doing their job, that's exhausting and it's not going to happen. That's just the reality of I'm life. Gonna- I'm gonna expect that from now on. So. <laughs> Every day it's like Jackie, listen, you're beautiful and you're amazing. I know you don't I fit find- into the BMI scale, but you're perfect <laughs> in my eye. <laughs> High five. High five. That's all yeah. I want. High five. <laughs> I think that might be why I just could not connect with Andy at all in the book. First of all, let's go back, recap full circle. Absolute mind blow. Uh, even though I hadn't watched the movie in a few years, when I started reading the book and it was like, and I'm blonde. I'm like, excuse me? Who are you? Yeah. Who is this blonde? And not, and I don't know why that's such a big deal to me because it really shouldn't. But I feel like when you're doing adaptations, why do you change that type of description? And the only thing I can think of is having... Anne Hathaway be that brunette sort of frizzy everyone's remembering her from Princess Diaries so you're automatically like oh my god I love Andy so I think in the movie they wanted you to really love Andy or in the book the author doesn't give a fuck sorry Uh, she's just more like "This this is Andy maybe I am Andy and if you look up the author of the book she is blonde so I think it is her experience that she's trying to portray here. So she's 
you know, representing herself. Um, but is that how we are? It is a society where we look at a blonde and we don't automatically give them the, oh, you're innocent. Do we automatically go, mm, she's probably a bitch. Is that where we are? Did I, that's why I had to well, check myself. No, I think, I think it, uh, as far as brunettes versus blondes, I think blondes are more on the side of, um, dumb blondes is the unfortunate oh, way of, yeah. to put it yeah. no i did i did i did i totally did um they can't really figure things out for themselves hmm. granted i know for a fact and i've known plenty of them blondes who are super smart Jackie's they can figure everything out yes she um blonde <laughs> brunettes are looked at as more the teacher or librarian oh. kind of personality okay um they they have things figured out they know what they want um they don't need help they're just this mousy girl in the corner mousy. Yeah. who nobody really pays attention to um and i think with anne hathaway playing the character as a brunette it was one of those things where she's kind of like, she's all that. The yeah. um, Freddie Prince movie in the it's 90s. another reference uh, that's aging us. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. I'm old. Um, but the brunette who is always there, everybody knows about her, but she just needs to take her classes off and maybe get a blowout. And put some eyeliner on, and she's automatically beautiful. And that's kind of. And I think that's where they might have been. Yeah, I think that's where they're kind of going with the casting of Anne Hathaway in the movie. Yeah, because blondes are automatically assumed to be pretty and voluptuous and out there and appealing to males and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I can see. I yeah, I can see that. And now, we, what I just mentioned was where you're talking about. Oh, all she needs is a blowout and like a little bit of makeup, and all of a sudden now she's just you know sex appeal. And that is what they do in the movie. Andy is you mm-hmm. know like pre-transition Princess Diaries version, and then all of a sudden she has this character arc with Nigel. Oh, woe is me. Nigel says, "Listen, what actually have you done? You're not even trying." Uh, so she goes, yeah. well, Nigel, can you help me, per se? And then all of a sudden, all they do is they just go in a closet, give her some uh, designer clothes, w- making sure that they comment on her weight the entire time. And then yeah. she comes back into the office with, like, pinned straight hair. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, cool. She's sophisticated and sexy and beautiful. And it's like, I'm not really... <laughs> see what changed but i got you i got you um so again anne hathaway had her princess diaries makeover but the adult version of it yeah Uh, i can say that andy in the book does not have that character arc she is she is who she is does she start to wear designer clothes yes but the best part about this is she She's essentially stealing the clothes 
from the the closet. They call it the closet, quote unquote closet, which is probably where um, we don't work in the fan- fashion industry, but I can just deduce that this <clears throat> means that this is where all the designers send their samples and um, their products that they want to be issued in vogue, right? So obviously there's a lot of samples on site. In the book, in the movie, it's this, here you go, like dress yourself. And all of a sudden there's this montage where she's just wearing perfect designer outfit after perfect designer outfit. And you're like, oh my God, it's amazing product. <laughs> but in the book, she's essentially just like stealing it. And I'm not going to say she's stealing it literally because the character James, right? And here, let's get into these two characters. There's James and there's Nigel in the book, but yeah. they are not—they are not the characters in the movie. I think what they did is they took Nigel and James in the book and combined them to give you this version of Nigel in the movie. Because Nigel in the book is absolutely—he's big, gay, and loud. He's just this massive oh, dude. Yeah. That's wearing like mesh crop tops and like neon pink and absolutely loud. Anytime he's talking in the book, it's all in caps. But immediately you love him. He's the most lovable character. And I, I even imagined the words being yelled at me Mm -hmm. while I was reading them. And I loved it. Yeah, but I didn't mind it at all. I could not I could not picture Stanley Tucci <laughs> delivering those lines. No, no. Um, I think that the book Nigel and the movie Nigel, not there's not a single iota there that's the same, but they're both absolutely lovable characters. But the James and the Nigel in the book offer that uh entry or that avenue for Andy to get access to that closet and that is by way of when they go in and do sort of spring cleaning and obviously these are samples they don't need anymore the designers don't want them back um they sort of let free reign open to the staff that's there to come and choose what they want so Andy's just taking full advantage of that and she's going in and taking it she does make a couple comments about how Um, she's really sloppy and she's negligent and she's not thinking and a lot of these clothes are getting ruined but she it in her inner dialogue she's like "Mm, whatever i don't have to pay for it just charge that to the company guard or the company dry cleaning she charges so much shit to the company i'm gonna take a cab from here to the sandwich place i'm gonna charge it to the company i'm gonna go to starbucks and buy five drinks for random people i'm gonna charge it to the company i i don't know how i feel about that yeah i i so let's talk about the starbucks she goes in and she uses her Starbucks and she also uses her connection to beat the line. I don't have anything like good or bad to say about it. I think I think she uses um, what she can to make her life a little bit easier. So she basically makes this deal with the barista where I, I can just cut the lines because my boss always needs Starbucks. But the thing is, is she's not just ordering her boss's drink where it's like one skim latte, right? Which is easy. Yeah. Like if somebody had to cut in front of me, like, hey, I'm in a rush. I need to just get a skim latte. I'd be like, sure, go for it. You know, karma come my way. But the fact is that Andy is ordering like bags and bags of food and like trays and trays of drinks and so you can if anyone's been to starbucks i know probably almost all of you have been that could totally back up a line so she's ordering like 
five to 20 drinks, depending on how she feels a day, charging it all to her company card. And what she's doing is she's taking these drinks and she's going and giving them to, I guess they're, they're like the homeless that are around the area. Yeah. Um, which listen, I'm not going to say no to that because it, I'm all about charity. And, you know, if you can, please help somebody out there for sure. But she's not doing it to be a good person. She's doing it because she knows she can be spiteful to the company. She wants to say screwed to the company. That's yeah. all she wants to do. She's like, so I can go spend $100 at Starbucks and I'm just going to pass it out to all the homeless people. And I think she even makes a comment in the book about, oh, if they only knew that this is who was yeah. getting it. That the, that the fa- like yeah. she's putting it on the fashion company or the magazine saying like they would be the snobbish ones. When it's really like, no, you are you are making a conscious effort to do that because you're acknowledging the fact that you you think these people are lesser than you. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about one more thing about Andy that I felt was interesting that they changed from the book to the movie. And I'm trying, I'm still trying to figure out why they need to make this change. So Andy in the book, she graduated from Brown, which is a prestigious Mm -hmm. Ivy League college. um, Amazing school. So that's great. But then in the movie, she graduated from Northwestern, which is also a great school. Mm -hmm. But what is the difference? I have that TikTok sound in my head. I'm like, what is the reason? Okay, so my theory on that is they wanted her to appear more naive and more sheltered. Midwestern? Yes. Hmm. Uh, More naive, more sheltered. She's from some Midwest town, podunk town that nobody's ever heard of. She went to Northwestern, still very sheltered. Um, whereas in the book, she went to Brown. She's from Connecticut. She still has city experience. She knows all of that stuff. So it, it depended on the interpretation of Andy they wanted for the movie. So with Northwestern, Midwest town, stuff like that, she's a lot more naive with Brown being from Connecticut, right outside the city, she is more seasoned, cynical. Uh, she knows what goes on in the city. She has experience with it, things like that. Personal opinion. Yeah, that, it makes sense. It does. <laughs> but now I feel, let's take this into account. Let's talk about her boyfriends. I say boyfriends plural because apparently Ew. Andy is dating two different guys. Yeah. In the book, it is sweet, adorable teacher Alex, who lives on his own and fully supports everything that Andy does. Now, if Andy in the book is going to Brown, lives in Connecticut, it makes sense how she's been dating uh, Alex for so long. No plot hole. Yep. But let's talk about Andy and Nate. Nate, who is like a line cook in the middle of Manhattan, um, grungy, kind of dirty. I think any description we're going to give, both Jackie and myself are not going to be good. Uh, to this don't even get me started on Nate. I don't like Nate the character. Jackie doesn't even like Nate the actor. 
Um, so for us, it's like, whatever. Ugh. If you do, if you're Nate lovers out there, fine. But now she went to uh, Northwestern, which is in Illinois, and she left Illinois to come to Manhattan to get this job. So how long has she been in Manhattan living or even in the New York metro area living? And how does she know uh, Nate and know him well enough to be living with him if she's a sweet, innocent character? That, and that how, to me is how a major do, plot How hole. do they have that apartment? Yeah. Yeah. It makes I no mean, sense. Because that's stuff. You are, I'm you from, are New York. from New York. You know. Yeah, I'm from New York. I'm telling you right now, it may look like that's a shitty apartment. That is not a shitty point, uh, apartment in New York. That's paradise. That is, that, is paradise. that is a good, good apartment. I mean, that's not even a studio. That's not no, even a studio. They she have doesn't have a job and, and he's a line cook. They have walls and doors between living room and bedroom. <laughs> yeah, they have, a, they have a bathroom that is in one room where the toilet is not on the opposite end of the floor plan from the shower and it's closed off and they have a full <laughs> kitchen. So that, that, that right there is like a 3000 a month apartment minimum. Yeah. And he's a line cook and she doesn't even have a job yet. Yeah. <laughs> like we're considering that she's, she's living there with him. Anyway, I, I don't I know think, why they I think that in that way. respect, the book was a hell of a lot more realistic because she's trying to find a room to sublet from people and she ends up yes. in a, in, a, in, a, in an apartment with two what Indian girls who are accountants yes. and they never talk to each other she just goes to a room which is a mm. lot smaller than normal furniture can hold and the best part just, is when she's ordering she goes and orders the furniture and it doesn't even fit she has to send it all back <laughs> that is accurate that is an accurate description Ooh. of what it's like to live there um can we talk you so you, you mentioned her indie roommates i just want and i'm not saying this author is problematic by any means but i think it's maybe telling of the time that it was published and written at the early 2000s there's a lot of remarks in this book that I feel like would not pass the test. I think of... so. Lately, yes. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. Because the way she talks about the, the two Indian girls, I think they're sisters or cousins that she she sublets the room from. Um, though even the way she remarks on the homeless individuals, um, I believe there's some other... Uh, tertiary tangential type characters that you don't really get names for but the way she describes them is is harsh it definitely yeah. does not align with the woke culture so I remember reading no. going, wow okay yeah. okay but anyway Which, we're not going to get into that here that's not the point of this <laughs> yeah because we're not of that generation I guess it's a good way to put no. it no no um uh, but at the same time, like, I I was not a fan of Nate at all. No, I hate Nate. At all. I think we're both on team hate Nate. Okay, so the thing that I wrote down, and this is one of the first prominent things I wrote down while I was reading the book after watching the movie, 
And it was when I noticed how Alex reacts to Andy and how she views her career. It was like mm-hmm. Nate judges Andy for being ambitious, but he is more so. Uh, she is in an industry that does not fit, quote, slash, end quote, his idea of her. So he has an idea of her, what he fell in love with, and if she changes, it no longer fits with that, and he cannot accept Mm -hmm. that at all. And he doesn't want her to change at all. At all. So typical man. Yeah. And with Nate in the movie, he is allowed to be ambitious because he wants to go to that interview to be the sous chef and eventually get hired as the sous chef in some prominent Boston restaurant. And she is not allowed to. She is just expected to be some copy editor or get bylines occasionally for some newspaper somewhere. Yeah. But she is it not is allowed to be ambitious. Yeah. There's definitely an issue there where, uh, and, and I don't <clears throat> like in the movie where you almost, no, I'm not, I'm not saying this because I care about Nate. Cause I, I kind of disliked him from the beginning, but it makes, it almost seems like the movie wants you to sit back and go, Oh, well, is she, is she neglecting her relationship? And it goes, they're they're not married, one. They don't have any kids, two. Not that those two should make a difference, but we all, we're all adults here. We know that, that that can change how you think about a situation. So the fact that, like, she has to work on his birthday is such a big fucking deal. Yeah. Excuse me. I don't remember a day unless my birthday fell on a Saturday. And then even so, I think I was on shift work or or something like I'm sorry it's your birthday I acknowledge it's your birthday but I had to fucking work I am so sorry what what is this argument about the fact that she had to like feel guilty the whole time she was working and then go back to the apartment and he's given her the whole melodramatic cold shoulder it's like I get it but we're adults we're adults like stuff happens and you need to take care of it and i'm not i'm definitely not in the camp of like your job show is come first no like i get it like if it's just a normal day at the office and nothing's going on and it's my husband or one of my kids birthdays of course i'm going to take off i'm going to try and do something with them but if it's like if i have a really important meeting or if i have an important project or or demonstrate if i have something that I have obligated myself to, I'm going to have that conversation with my family and be like, listen, you know what? We're going to make this up. I'm not going to guilt trip and I'm definitely not going to guilt trip my family if they have things. If my kids have events, you know, on my birthday, they have a track event or they have a college event. I'm going to sit there like, oh, woe is me that they did not do this because it's my birthday. Like that's such a ridiculous thing that we're still... I think played very big into where it's like, oh, it's my birthday. Cool. You were brought into this world. Got it. I don't know what else you want from me. Like, um, so Mel, stupid. Mel, by the way, um, I'm going to take off for my birthday. 
Just, just uh, so Jackie, you know. no, <laughs> no, I disapprove your leave request I mean, right now. I've, I'm here. I've been in worse places than where we work for my birthday, so I really don't care, and it doesn't mean anything anymore at all. I feel like. That alone, that scene where she has to be at the Met Gala and she's rushing home. She doesn't stay to have a drink with Christian, who's absolutely beautiful and dreamy. She's like, oh, no, I can't. And then she's Which like, he was the cast door, so much. He was cast so much older in the movie mm-hmm. than he was in the books. Yeah, I feel like they wanted to make Christian almost seem predatory. And he wasn't. He was just in the book. In the book, he—he's just no. In the movie, like they just wanted to make him predatory. Where in the book, it's like, no, he's just a nice guy. He's a nice guy that works in this realm. He's a journalist. He writes. He kind of has the hots for Andy. So like any other dude out there is trying to like show off to her. Yeah, and can I point out that in the movie she sleeps with Christian, but in the books it never happens. No, they just have like a little hangout session. She's like, oh, yeah. that's nice. I they're they're at a party and she's hanging out with him and then they might kiss. That's about it. And other than that, she just she's on this high, emotional high. She goes back to the hotel. And she gets the messages from her parents and um, Alex. And she's like, oh, I'll just worry about it in the morning. <laughs> so let's let's talk about that now. Yeah. Um, I think we've given our in-depth perception of a lot of the characters in book and in movie. But let's talk about the plot Ugh. for a minute. Or maybe okay. a couple minutes. Maybe more than that. So in the beginning of the, let's talk at the beginning. In the book, we're, we're immediately knee-deep into Andy working as the assistant. Uh, the opening scene is her. Uh, I think if you remember, if you've seen the movie where she's this part of the montage where she's like dragging the dog around and trying to fetch uh, Miranda's car. It's, it's like, it's not really... Uh, there's not too much thought into it. It's just part of the montage. But in the book, we lead off with Andy driving Miranda, picking Miranda's car up from the dealership and bringing it to a uh, garage. And it's a manual. She doesn't know how to drive it. And she's trying to, like, figure it out on the way. Which, by the way, I think is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Because Jackie and I both know how to drive a stick shift. And... I know how what it's like to drive in gridlock in Manhattan. I'm telling you, that is not the place you learn how to drive a manual. Mm-hmm. So she's on her own going through that. I already call bullshit. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I call absolute bullshit. Anyway, so beginning of the book opens like that, where she's working for Miranda and she's doing all... It's almost like the author wants you to be immediately immersed in all of the bullshit that Andy has to do so that you sort of connect with her to know like, this is ridiculous. Like why would she be doing this? Why would she be asked to do this? Personally, maybe it's just my age or where I'm at in my career. But I was like, why would you not say I do not how to know how to drive this vehicle? I would rather I would of mine. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like tell me you don't know how to drive this 
before you take my hundred and thousand plus dollar vehicle into gridlock traffic in Manhattan and fucking yeah. wreck it. I would I would prefer that. So Well, I mean, it kind I, of leads to the request that Miranda makes at the end of the book. Like, I don't care what Homeland Security says. My daughters need a passport right now. Which I'm gonna get to that in a second. And I have my own personal opinions about that now after reading the book and doing some research on it and knowing like where the point of view is coming from. I am going to say this right now. I do not think the narrator is reliable. I think it is an unreliable narrator where what we're being told is not exactly how it is. It's some of their stuff is take just, on it. Yeah. Like a lot of it is just pure bullshit. And I think if I were in my 20s reading this, I might have sympathize or empathize with Andy but where I'm at right now as an adult I'm like get over yourself no this is fucking bullshit I feel so, like so like bo- some of the people that we work with just uh, maybe one mm. uh, <laughs> maybe more but I will say some of the book I felt like it's one of my teenage daughters telling me a story or explaining their side of the story that's what I got. Like, I had the immediate, like, this is bullshit, but whatever. Tell me. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. yeah. So we have that in the book, but in the movie, it's it's different. So where do we start in the movie? Uh, In the movie, we start immediately with her going into the interview, which is mm-hmm. totally different from the book. Because the book, she... Uh, what do we say in the notes? In the beginning, in the book, so she, she goes in, she, she interviews the... with HR, and mm-hmm. doesn't even meet Miranda for what seven chapters on vacation. Yeah, yeah. From chapter one or the epi- or the <clears throat> prologue until chapter seven, there's no Miranda. Miranda's yeah. not even have has not even communicated with Andy. Because she's on vacation. So it's literally just Andy and Emily getting her up to speed on what her responsibilities are. And the way she was hired is HR for the Mm -hmm. company hired her. And it it was all based on the, it's really hard to hire people for the position, blah, blah, blah. Since Miranda's on vacation, we're going to take advantage of this and we're going to hire you. It's going to be fine. But in the movie, she has this whole little monologue she does with Miranda at the desk and then Miranda's like oh yeah you're strong you're different I'm gonna hire you like no that's not well and then even even in the beginning of the movie you have Miranda constantly throwing her purse and jacket on Andy's desk and Uh it's like that gauntlet I guess or uh proving kind of yeah the montage of Miranda throwing her jacket and purse on Andy's desk we're supposed to feel that this is you know difficult poor Andy yeah the movie definitely goes about trying to paint Miranda as the bad guy um and I see it like you definitely watch the movie you're like oh man she's kind of a bitch but I Again, this might be just our stage in life where we're looking at Miranda and going, eh, she's 
she's just busy. Like she's Mm -hmm. a busy professional. And honestly, and I don't mean to be like, oh my God, men versus women, but it is women who history months to go get fucked. Um, Yep. If it were a man that were behaving that way, I don't really think we'd be having this conversation about how, you know, the movie's trying to portray Miranda as a villain. Definitely not. We would not, we would not waste one second on that conversation. No. We'd be like, oh, he's just a hard boss or whatever. Or, you know, honestly, there'd probably be some sort of, um, like, sexual tension Mm -hmm. in the book about, like, sweet innocence. Kind of like in uh, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which we're going to do next week. Her boss, her boss is like, I'm so attracted to you, but I don't think I should be. Which is really creepy in its own way, but we'll get into that (laughs) next. But yes. Yeah, so if it was a man, we'd, we'd be dealing with sexual tension and probably some gratuitous sex scenes, which, I mean, I'm not against, but anyway. So that's the beginning of the movie, where we have, the book is Miranda's a bitch, even though I haven't seen, talked, interacted with Miranda for seven chapters. I've just been dealing with Emily and trying to learn my job. But in the beginning of the book, it's just Andy resisting this the entire time. She's like, I, this is stupid, this is this, like then don't work here. Like, stop. Mm-hmm. And then the movie is sort of this, you automatically get pitted Andy against Miranda. Yep. Miranda is this evil nemesis. She's a bitch boss lady. And then Andy comes in. Oh, I have my, my like, frumpy shoes and my frumpy sweater. Like, please hire me. I'm trying to... Got it. But I think the premise of both the book and the movie about Andy even pursuing this job is that notion that spending a year as Miranda's assistant in this industry is very well respected and that she well, has, is networking to the nth degree. And that's the thing about the difference between the book and the movie. The book, she treats it like, um, okay, I'm going to do my time. It's going to be awful. I know that. In the movie, it's, I'm doing my time. Yes, it's awful, but this is something that I can joke about my friends or joke about with my friends at the beginning. And then she really, really starts to drink the Kool-Aid and she becomes part of that world. And you never see that in the book. In the book, no, the book she, is she absolutely yeah, resistant the whole time. She pictures herself wearing like sweater vests and pleated skirts and stuff like that and loafers, um, but mm-hmm. she's wearing uh, Manolas and Prada mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Gucci, yeah, Gucci, so much Gucci. Gucci. Um, I wish I could afford it, um, yeah. but. <laughs> Yeah, but she she does a much better job of drinking the Kool-Aid and appearing the part in the book. Uh, oh, wait, no. The movie. Um, mm-hmm. In the book, it's more appearing to drink the Kool-Aid, but really harboring her resentment and anger and all that other stuff. She wants to be cynical. 
And she tries to joke more with her friends, uh, I think, in the book, but they don't they don't take it. They're like, look, you made this decision for yourself and we're trying to support you. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings us into sort of the, the, the main meat of this book and the movie where we're seeing how Andy is developing as a character and her relationships with uh, the people around her, both at work and at home in the book. Why earlier I said Lily is a big, a major character and Alex, because they are fully supportive of her. And you, you definitely see more of her family in the book. In the movie, you just get like a scene with her dad um, where they go out to dinner. And even then, it's very short-lived. In the book, it's very... Because she lives in Connecticut. Remember, in the book, Connecticut, not Illinois or Ohio or wherever she comes from. Uh, so she drives home on most weekends to see her family. She starts working. She's saying she's too busy. She's too tired. But she's also like going to events and things like that. Um, so her boyfriend, Alex is a teacher. He's busy. They don't live together. Um, which, okay. I'm gonna, <laughs> I don't know why I feel this way, but I also, okay. I understand it, but I'm like, why don't they live together? And it's not based off seeing the movie and going, oh, well they live together in the movie. I'm just thinking like, wouldn't that make sense living in the city to live with your friend or your boyfriend if they're right there. Um, and they don't. Like, it never even comes up. And I understand the whole, like, they're not ready for that type of commitment. And I get it. Fine. But the relationship in itself is is semi-serious. Like, they've been together for several years. And he's very close with her family. Very close with her best friend. So, it's, it's definitely a tight relationship. He's so yeah, I I would have expected more from Alex in the movie. Or in the book. Right? Yeah. Then, yeah, then yeah, what yeah, I got it. Yeah. And then Lily is her best friend. And I think oh, they've been friends since they... Don't even get me started. Was it like middle that. middle school? Middle school. Elementary yeah. Middle school. No, I think she was like 12 Definitely at the earliest or latest middle school. Could have been elementary yeah, so school, Lily, but... I think she was like 12. I think that's the number that the age that comes up is like... Something about how Lily had a, not a great upbringing. Her her mother was like f- some kind of commune. And, yeah, a commune yes, the that commune. her, her so, grandmother rescued her from, and stuff like that. And I understand that Lily is free love and hippie and all that stuff. But don't don't even get me started. Um, on Andy. <laughs> so Lily I, is a really uh, good friend of Andy. Andy in the book is basically like sleeping on Lily's couch because Lily is going to school in New York. She's like a Russian lit major, something ridiculous. She's going for her master's. Um, not anything like the Lily that's in the movie. Totally different. There's nothing that they share. So she's oh, living the on the Lily and... in the movie is totally judgmental and yeah. prudish because she sees the Anne Hathaway Andy talking to Christian, and she's like, she's "You're like, oh, not the same not the person. Andy, know. You're not the same person I know." And but Lily in the book is like, "Get it, Andy. Yeah. Get it. Get do it. Deep. Free love." Get... 
but at, but but then you start to realize that Lily is maybe not stable herself. No. Um, and this is a big character arc for Andy in the book because Lily is dealing with. It's clear Andy doesn't really acknowledge it, but Alex does her boyfriend, and I think even her family does a little bit. Where Lily is dealing with some serious alcoholism. And I don't, I can't remember for sure if there's drugs involved, but substance abuse, substance abuse all around is definitely an issue for Lily. And one of the key scenes in the book uh, where Andy has the opportunity to really acknowledge this is when she finds Lily in, um, eventually they, they do find an apartment together. That's a whole other story, which whatever, it's part of the book. Um, where she finds Lily in the room, in her bedroom, Lily's bedroom, that is, unconscious. And there's, like, a really sleazy dude in there. And clearly they've been, you know, doing stuff. Uh, so she's telling this guy to, like, get out of their apartment. She doesn't know who she is. Lily won't wake up. She's absolutely out, blacked out. Um, she's naked. And he's making all these crude comments about the stuff that they've done. And finally Alex has to come in and say, dude, you got to go. So here's this scene where now we, we've been alluding to the fact that Lily is not in a good state of mind in the book. She is drinking excessively. She's not going to school regularly. She's slacking on grades. She's not finishing uh, projects and assignments. And because Andy's in this job, she's just like, hmm, okay, whatever. But Alex, her boyfriend, sweet, sweet Alex, is like, Andy, there's something wrong with Lily. Like, she's got a problem. We need to help her before this gets out of control. And she's like, no, Lily's just free-spirited. She's just, that's just who she is. No. <laughs> no. Like, your friend is blacked out. She's blacked out in her bedroom, naked, with a guy. She And she kind of comes to during the scene, and she's like, who's that? She doesn't even know who this yeah. guy is that she's been sleeping with, or he's doing whatever to her. And Alex is still, or Andy is like, and she's just, that's just how Lily is. Like, what? No, no. And I would hope that any that anybody that I would bring into my life would see that and be like, this is major concern. I hated that part of the book, and it made me hate Andy that much more. Because she was taking the situation and saying okay how is this going to impact my job yeah the whole time oh well, I was working I was busy no I can't talk to you right now I'm going to get fired and it's like uh okay well, I mean neither when we get to the end when she comes back from the party with Christian and she's like, oh, I have messages. And Alex left a message. And my parents left a message. And yeah. What's going so on? I'm going to worry about it in the morning. And then she so we calls. Get to the, yeah. We get to the end of the book. And uh, where Andy has to go to Paris with Miranda. And just so you understand, in the movie, she also goes to Paris with Miranda. How this comes about is very, very different. In the book, or actually, let's talk about the movie, because I think more more people are familiar with the movie version. Andy has this sort of little heart-to-heart -heart with Miranda 
in her apartment where Miranda's like, I uh, need someone that's reliable. And I think at the time, Emily was like sick. Uh, she had like a flu or something and whatever. And Andy in the movie sort of show, proves herself during the Met Gala function when Emily f- floundered. So Miranda says to Andy, like, I, I need you. I respect you. I trust you to come with me to Paris. And Andy's re- reaction to the movie is, well, Emily, right? Like, I don't want to do this to Emily. This would kill it. She's been planning this for years. Um, but ultimately agrees to go. So that's Andy's decision. Oh, so, yeah. And then Emily's like, oh, by the way, let them know. And just so everyone's aware, I also had this happen to me just recently. I, I got promoted and I'm in a new position and had to hire a new employee. Um, but also when the hiring services came back to me, we were like, oh, okay, good job. You know, you go ahead and reach out to this person, let them know you've hired them and work out a start date. And I was like, cool. And then they send another email like, oh, also let the non-selects know as well. I'm like, what? So I had to be the bad guy and give everyone the news of, unfortunately, <laughs> you weren't selected. I'm so sorry. I, I read your resumes and I hated them, but I'm sorry. Anyway, <laughs> so I had a little bit of empathy, like, just recently about this scene where Miranda's like, you need to tell Emily. So she does, but it happens <clears throat> in the hospital scene, which is Jackie's personal favorite of the movie. Oh, I um, love it. Emily Blunt just shoveling pudding down her throat. And it's just, I love that. Emily Blunt makes that movie. I'm just going to put it right there. Emily Blunt and Meryl Streep, absolutely amazing. And of course, Anne Hathaway, but I think her being the main character, whatever. But in the book, in the book, Andy is so looking forward to this Paris trip. Because she's like, I'm going to be in the office by myself. Emily's going to be with Miranda. Nobody's going to bother me. I'm just going to do this, this, and that. I'm going to continue on with all my fraud. And by fraud, I mean, we talked about the Starbucks earlier. We talked about when she goes to collect things from Miranda on her errand. She just goes out there and immediately starts smoking. That's where the chain smoking cynic comes from. Um, And even Emily in the book, like, l- listen, I know you go out there and just talk to your boyfriend and smoke cigarettes. Like, that's why you're taking so long to get yeah. back. Yeah. So in the movie, when they keep calling, like, are you there? Are you there? It seems like they're just excessive. But in the book, it's clear that Andy is taking full advantage of this and wasting a lot of time. So Andy is thinking in the book, this is an opportunity for me just to, like, bullshit because I fucking hate this job. I don't take it seriously. I haven't in almost a year that I've been working here. I hate everyone I work with. There's even parts of the book where she talks about uh, never washing, excuse me, the dishes that oh, she puts that is food on. Gross. So, so gross. basically what she's doing is she's like, she's taking Miranda's dry cleaning that she has to drop off. And whenever Miranda eats something, she will take the dry cleaning and just like wipe the plate off with it and then put it back in the cabinet. And I'm going, that's disgusting. And that's cruel. And sure, I mean, is it supposed to be that we're laughing at that going, ha 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 ha? Or is it just the adult in me that's going, that's stupid and wrong. And you're just like an absolute horrid human being. Um, So we have that. So Andy thinks this is what it's going to be like. But Emily in the book comes down with mono. So she can't go. 
And even Emily's not upset. She's like, literally, I, I have mono. The doctor says I'm super contagious. I have to stay home. So this isn't even that dramatic between her and Emily. It's Emily telling Andy, like, hey, I'm going to get you set up for this, but you're going to have to be the one to go to Paris. And Andy has an absolute meltdown. She's just, she cannot believe this and hates it. And is like screaming at Emily, doesn't want to do this. Um, but ultimately concedes to it. She's like, oh, this is my job. I just got to do it. So while she does, while deciding to go to Paris, well, I guess she didn't really have a choice unless she quit. Um, her sister in the book just had a baby. So her parents are like, well, when are you going to come and see the baby? She's like, well, I got to go to Paris. Now, here's the thing for me. Her sister has the baby and the baby is alive and born and not in utero anymore. And she's talking about, oh, but I have to go to Paris. So there's clearly an opportunity for her to visit. She was not yet in Paris. I didn't read too much into this, but a part of me, I made a note of like, you're using your job as an excuse not to see your newborn niece or nephew. I forget what it was. It doesn't matter. Um, but you haven't even left the country yet. But whatever. So. We <laughs> I'm sorry. So that brings us into in the book where Andy's going to Paris. But there's a few things in the middle of the book. Um, that we still didn't talk about that I think warrants uh, a discussion. And the big thing for me is Miranda in the book clearly is a bit more eccentric, a bit more um, she's excitable. A lot more, yeah, she's a lot more um, enthusiastic in the book. Yeah, there are a couple scenes where she yells, but I'm going to go back to my initial where I don't think this this narrator is reliable. And I've seen the interviews with Anna Wintour. I've read articles about her. If this is supposed to be about her, she does not seem like the type of woman, uh, professional, I should say, that is just screaming emotionally in the, in the workplace. Uh, so I don't believe it, but that's what Andy wants us to believe in the book is that she, she is like that. Um, but the big thing I take on is Miranda's husband. She's married to an individual who I, I forget what he's known for. It's something in banking or whatever. Um, and in the book, it's clear, even through Andy's skewed perception of it, that Miranda is happily married to mm -hmm. her husband. And her husband is a nice guy. Yep. And Jackie and I were talking about this, where anytime her husband <clears throat> comes up in the beginning, any interactions Andy had with her husband, we thought, is he supposed to is she trying to make him out like he's cringy? Like, is he going to well, start yeah, coming on to him? I, I kept expecting there to be some kind of, like, inappropriate touching or something like that. Like, being creepy. But it never happened. Maybe that's just me being pessimistic. But it was just one of those things that you get this guy that's married to this woman in, hot, in a lot of power. She is a very prominent person and he's just gonna be like oh this is my uh what do you call it um uh, what is it what would you call it like his opportunity to make an advance yeah like uh like a, a playground or something like that like yeah. 
Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you're, you're advantage of the, all of these yeah. young girls. Yeah. You're waiting for this moment for him to just be super cringy and it never happens. But yeah, and then it you realize it never happens. I'm like, this he's is Mr. Just Rogers. A nice, he's yeah, Mr. he's just Rogers. a nice chatty dude who if he's dealing with his wife's, you know, employees, he's being a genuinely caring individual. Yeah. And all the interactions she has with her husband, Miranda, that is, uh, in the book are sweet. And Andy is just so pessimistic about it. She's like, oh, it's disgusting. It's this and that and blah, 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 blah. And I go, okay, so she, you have this powerful woman who has an affectionate relationship with her husband and it's disgusting. But then I hate how in the movie, now after reading the book, where there's this character arc for Miranda where we have to see her um, vulnerable. And she has the moment where they're in, I guess, I think they're in Paris. Well, yeah, no, no, it's right without Paris. makeup. Yeah, without yeah. makeup. Yeah. Without makeup, obviously crying, upset, you know, questioning herself as a professional wife, a mother. And... You, you do in the movie, you can't help but have, like, a caring moment for this character. And you're like, oh, she's like a human now. And I go, why did she need that? Yeah. It didn't happen in the book. She didn't need that in the movie. Why did we have to have this opportunity for us to go, oh, she's actually a human being? I don't think the character needed that, period. I don't, I don't think so either. Like, she was a human being to begin with. Um, granted, she was a little bit um, explosive in the mm. book. She screamed a lot. <laughs> I think half the time she was described talking, it was as screaming. Um, but in the movie, like, I don't understand the divorce storyline yeah. i really don't and even and a why bit earlier did, on why did we have to see her without makeup why was it yeah. important to see her without makeup like why couldn't we see that earlier on with yeah. uh like they wanted just... to make it a stark difference between her completely like in her quote-unquote battle armor just yeah this professional powerhouse and now you're like oh she's in her robe and she has no makeup and she's got tissues like is that what i mean like you I see me you moment. see me at work <laughs> you see me at work every day i don't wear any makeup and people tell me i look tired and i say okay he's like because i am fucking tired yeah i'm so tired so fast forward, Handy gets over her pissy fit about having to go to Paris. Yeah. And she gets there. Uh, she meets Miranda in Paris. And I, okay, these are the notes I took at this point because I think we're nearing the end. This is the last couple chapters of the book. And I was just so over it. I was just done. And I said, Andy is incompetent. Mm-hmm. She's absolutely incompetent. Everything that happens in Paris is just her going like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And she's messing stuff up. And I'm thinking, this is a huge event. This is your, your responsibility to make sure these things go smoothly. And she's just bitching the whole time. And everything's kind of blowing up in her face. Um, 
And then sort of fast forward again. While she's in Paris, she has that sort of meetup we talked we talked about, about uh, with Christian. And it's very innocent. It's a lighthearted evening. And it's actually like a nice evening because Miranda essentially invited Andy to come to a friend of hers house, which happened to be Christian's parents, and just kind of like let her have the evening. Didn't yeah. ask her for anything. Yeah. And so she's it just was, there hanging out. It was just totally innocent. It was totally ninth grade high school hanging out watching a movie dancing to a song or two yeah that's it and it was sweet and you're like i it solidified for me i like christian is end game he's real good um now they leave the party her and miranda and when andy gets back to room she realizes that she has several missed calls from alex her boyfriend (laughs) but we didn't talk about this yet uh Andy and Alex decided to go on a break. Alex had enough of her bullshit where he just felt ignored. And quite honestly, he was. Because Andy's I sympathize job with him. wasn't... Right? Because Andy's job isn't the one that's keeping her from calling him or emailing him back. It's just she's so distracted and self-centered in her own bitching. Mm-hmm. That's what's distract. That's why she's not answering back. Because half the time, it's like she's just in the office answering phone calls or bitching to Emily or whatever. And then she gets home and she realizes, oh, I never called Alex like I said I would. So it's on her. It's 100% on her. So anyway, so Alex is on a break. Her and Alex are on a break. That's why it's so weird that she has all these missed calls. And she's like, oh, maybe Alex wants to get back together, blah, blah, blah. And I think what makes her call back is she sees the message from her father Mm-hmm. And that's who she calls first because Alex, she's like, oh, I'll let him wait. It's fine. We're on a break anyway. And I'm like, God, you're such a bitch. So she talks to her dad or her mom first, I think. And then her mom's obviously upset. And her dad gets on the phone and tells Andy, hey, Lily's been in an accident. Lily is in Manhattan driving, completely hammered, with a character who is. Kind of introduced in the beginning of the book. I think yeah, he her works in the building. ex-boyfriend in uh, college. He works in the building. He was uh, oh god, I can't even remember his name. He's just a skeezball. But yeah, I he, can't even. He, he's a skeezball. He's one of those that like goes to work for some financial firm and ends up gaining fifty pounds and. Yeah, yeah he's, just he's a skis ball. Andy actually runs into him because she's fucking smoking all the time and she's running outside being an absolute bitch. So that's how she runs into him. So not you, you that get that there's anything interaction. wrong with the smoking. No, 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 there's not. But Andy's <laughs> just, uh, she's a messy character. But what we're trying to portray is that's how she runs into this character in the back. And then you don't hear anything about him for like the rest of the book until the end. Where all of a sudden now Lily is in a car absolutely hammered and driving with him and then drives head on into someone um, in the city. So clearly she's not doing well. She's in the hospital. Her parents say she's in a coma. And uh, her parents and even Alex, when she finally talks to him, are like, well, um, when are you coming home? We'll come get you from the airport. Because that's like the normal thing, right? Jackie and I actually had this conversation the other day on our drive to work where we go, if somebody called me and said that you were in a coma, I don't care what I was doing or where I was, I would say, 
cool, I gotta go. Yeah. It's <laughs> so I think it's a normal reaction from her parents and her, you know, semi ex on a break boyfriend to be like, just let us know what flight you're taking because we'll pick you up. And that's what made me friends. yeah, that's what made me so angry about Andy in the book. The fact that she was like uh, I don't know how this is going to impact work and stuff like that. Yeah, and, as and opposed that to, like, yeah, that she's in a coma. <laughs> as opposed to, I don't care how this impacts work. If you, Mel, or Lisa were in a coma, I would be on when's the next flight? Yeah, I'd be right there. I'd be at the airport as or, or as I'm on the phone with whoever is letting me know this information. I'm already putting stuff in a bag. It's going in a bag and then I'm making my way to the airport and I'm getting the next ticket. But Andy is like, well, I think even the conversation she had with her dad, because her dad's still trying to be supportive, but also like you really should come home. He's he makes the comment of, well, I mean, she's in a coma. She won't even know that you're here. So Andy just latches onto that and says, well, yeah, yeah she is in a well, coma. She she's doesn't not going to know so I'm maybe, yeah. I, She's like, I can just finish out this week. And hopefully when I get back, you know, she's out of the coma. And that was the moment where I kind of just closed my notebook. I was done taking notes on this book. <laughs> I'm reading the last couple pages, chapters, whatever it is. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck anymore and and all. that was one of the aspects of the movie that i appreciated over the book because the movie it was at least miranda telling andy hey this is essentially what you did to emily um and then andy being like wait a second i don't want to be part of this world anymore and then yeah, walking away telling andy fine. Like, you're like yeah me. yeah great fine but book uh, my friend is in a coma. Uh, my boyfriend uh -huh. ended my relationship with him. And I'm... I have not seen my newborn niece or nephew or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, all that. And then, oh, but wait, you want me to get last minute passport approvals for your daughters? No, that's my breaking point. I'm sorry. I can't do that. I just can't. Like, why was that? Why was that her breaking point? Yeah, it in the in the movie, it the breaking point is no, I'm not. I'm not like you. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be inside because what happens in the movie is Miranda essentially to save her own hide hurts Nigel, who yeah. in, in the book, or, I mean, in the movie, Nigel's a much bigger character. He has the aspirations Stanley of Gigi. um Stanley Tucci. I think what he's gonna have he's gonna be the new um he's gonna have a big position in some other magazine. That's yeah. or or James Holt's line that's coming up. Like he is gonna move up in his career and the Vogue slash runway, it's not Vogue, sorry, runway, uh, the owner or or I, I, I don't know. I don't know how this works there. So if I'm using the wrong titles for things, don't fucking sue me. I'm sorry. But her Miranda's boss is trying to find a way to sort of replace her to sort of modernize and maybe cut costs because Miranda's, you know, she's like, I do it my way. And that's how it is. So 
for Miranda to save her own skin, she sort of sells Nigel out. Yeah. To move, um, what's her name? Jacqueline. Jacqueline. Uh, Jacqueline off to this, to the other James Hall position. So basically Nigel's left in the dust with nothing. Just keep going, doing what you're doing. Um, so Andy sees that in the movie. And when Miranda brings it to her attention that, yeah, you're kind of like me. And she's like, I would never do that. I would never do that to Nigel. And, Miranda goes, well, you kind of did because you took Paris away from Emily. Yeah. So, yes, in the movie, that's a very serious sort of character arc where you're like, yeah, you did. You looked out for yourself. You're drawing comparisons between Miranda and Andy. And I can understand that being a breaking point for Andy. But in the book, her friend lying in a coma is not a breaking point for Andy. Andy's breaking point is... You want me to get passports that are renewed for your daughters in the next few hours so they yeah. can get on a flight to come out here to Paris. She's like, yeah. that's fucking impossible and you're batshit crazy. And by the way, you can go fuck yourself and then walks yeah. off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Cool. I get it. Like, I think any sort of early... 20 year old would read that and go yeah i get it girl but me and you jackie is professional sitting here going really for me the movie andy in that respect was a lot more relatable and sympathetic because it was yeah because it was a lot more personal the connection with why she wanted to leave that position whereas the book it's like your friend like you melissa or lisa are in a coma somewhere i'm jumping on a plane immediately and i i'm gonna get in so many people's business and do whatever i can to just infringe on people's personal lives just to make sure that you're taken care of (laughs) But Andy in the book is like, how is this going to affect my job? Yeah, like, it's she's in a coma. She's not going to know. And, and then also, <clears throat> she's, like, a little resentful. Like, why is, she, why is she doing this? She doesn't even drive. Why is she drinking and in this car? And it's like, bitch, yeah, because she she's had a fucking problem the whole time. The whole time. Yeah, it's like, she's had a problem. Your best friend has had a problem the whole goddamn book. And you're like, I got, I got work. I got, I have to go and bitch about my boss. I don't have time for this. Yeah. Like, you know what? My <laughs> boss wants like me it. to pick up her dry cleaning. And um, it's like all the way across town. And I, I don't like Huh. Okay, so here we are at the absolute end uh, from book and movie. Now, okay. in book, it ends with Andy clearly gets fired. She does have a little bit of a moment with Emily on the phone with returning some of the clothes. Like, she has this sort of closure with Emily that's similar to the movie. But... She goes back and lives with her parents in Connecticut, and so does Lily. Yeah. And that's it. Like, she's They're just sharing back to being... a room. Yeah. And it seems like it's a happy ending because her, her, she's kind of talking. I think she's talked to Alex. I don't know. Like I said, 
this point in the book before that, I really was just like, fuck it. I got to finish this. I don't care anymore. <laughs> but it, it, it feels like it should be like a happy ending where she's not working for the devil anymore. And she's with her family and she's with her friend. And we're kind of like good. But to me, I just go, you just wasted an absolute year yeah. of your life. I agree. And there's nothing to show for it. And um, in the movie, in the movie. <laughs> she, yeah, in the movie, she meets up with uh, Nate and mm-hmm. they reconcile. And this is what bothered me. This is what bothered me most about the movie was Nate's reaction to Andy. And that's Nate got angry with Andy for being ambitious. Because even though she did not realize she was being ambitious, like trying to move up in the publishing world, um, she did that. And Nate was like, you're not the same person that I fell in love with. However, at the end of the movie, he's like, oh, I'm the new sous chef at this famous restaurant in Boston. <laughs> look at and, what I did. Yeah, look, look at me. Um, I'm moving up in the culinary world. So what that told me was that he was allowed to be ambitious, but Andy was not. And the reason he stopped loving her at the time was because she became somebody different than what he initially fell in love with. But they get back together I guess at the end of the movie, that's he what they make the you feel. Like, yeah, what did he say? Like, uh, I can make grilled cheese, or she's like, and, I'm yeah, sure I, I can make grilled Boston. cheese in Boston. Whatever. Again, Anybody, another example of we just don't fucking care anymore. Anybody can make grilled cheese in Boston. Uh, who would want to eat grilled cheese in Boston? <laughs> Listen, Jackie, your hate for cheese—you got to keep that to yourself. Um, I'm Swiss, so I'm allowed to hate cheese. I don't think that's actually accurate. No, I don't think that's accurate. No, uh, well, we are kind of known for cheese, so if I hate it, it's my right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know how much you love the word, um, 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 So we're at the end of the book, and here's the two major differences. Andy closes out with a very lackluster exit in the book. Yeah. She's living with her parents. Got it. Like, that whole year, why did I read this book? That was the end of the book for me was, why exactly did I just read this book? What happened here? The movie is, we close out or we round out this character arc where... Miranda respects Andy and Andy's looking for a new job and she puts and gives her that a she's referral. Worked. Yeah. So Miranda actually gives a referral to one of these uh, magazines and the person that Andy's hired or interviewing with says, Hey, this is what Miranda sent us. Like out of all the girls, you were the most disappointing or blah, blah, but I would be a fool or something like that for not hiring you. Um, that did not happen in the book. And it's more realistic in the book because if you told your boss to go fuck themselves and then left them stranded overseas on a trip, on a work trip, yeah, I'm not writing you a referral either. So (laughs) 
if you're going to sit here and call, if we're, if let's, let's just speak real for a minute. We're saying that Devil Wears Prada is a work in fiction, yet it's the author, her experiences working as assistant for Anna Wintour. If we're supposed to believe that Anna Wintour is a monster and the end of that is she didn't write you a referral, um, I'm not with you, girl, at all. I'm 100% team Anna. I yeah, would not if, write you a referral either. If the author had that mentality that uh, Andy had, totally 100%. And all of this goes back to you build for yourself what you make for yourself so if you're gonna build this cynical like everybody owes me everything kind of attitude good luck i'm with you so here we are the book and the movie clearly have very distinct differences but you know obviously keeping with the the theme of the book i would say if I were to sit here now and write a Goodreads review on this and give it a star rating, I think I'm prepared to give The Devil Wears Prada of the book a two-star rating. And that is because I didn't not finish it. And I think even if we weren't reading this for the podcast, I don't think that I wouldn't finish it. I would still finish it. I only give one star to books that I DNF. So I'm going to give it two stars. And the reason for that is even though I didn't not even though I didn't not finish it, I wanted to for the last couple chapters when the whole incident with Lily happened. And I was like, I just don't care about this book anymore. I don't care about this character anymore. This character can fucking go fuck off for all I care. Um, and I would say if I were to agree with a review I would agree with the review that is the one star that says it was suck a bullshit. I put one star because the movie was good. But I would say I give two star because the movie was good. <laughs> okay. It's a hard act to follow. Um, I would definitely say two out of five for the book. Just because I found the character of Andy so 100% completely unrelatable. Mm -hmm. That is just because my own personal experience, what I've gone through in my life and the people that I've dealt with. Um, Andy made the book, I'm just going to say, very difficult to get through. The movie... I would say three out of five. Meryl Streep, genius. Stanley Tucci, epic genius. I love him. Um, I want to give him a hug at some point <laughs> in my life. You're actually, I actually only give Stanley Tucci stars. For the movie, everyone else doesn't get anything. Well, it was like when we were in Okinawa. And I met the wonderful Easton Corbin. I was like, can I just shake your hand? Can I just that, touch you, please? That made my life. Um, but 
I would I would say that yeah, the movie I love Meryl Streep, I love Stanley Tucci, um, Anne Hathaway. I think she's an amazing actress, but I think maybe she was miscast in this part. I think that's fair. Yeah. I would say if I were to if I'm gonna rate the movie right now, I would say if we're doing it out of the five stars, I think I would also give it a th- Do I wanna give it a three? I think I would give it a three out of five, and that's because it's not one of those movies that I can watch over and over with. Even though I hadn't watched it in so long, watching it again for this podcast, I was like, okay, got it. Um Meryl Streep, I agree. Stanley Tucci, absolutely like spot on casting. I think even Emily Blunt was amazing. Um, Andy, if I'm not comparing it to the book, I think Andy casting wise for the if the premise of or the mood that the movie wanted to get across was that Andy's just this naive American sweetheart. Like she's like in this vicious industry trying to keep up. I think it was okay. Maybe if we were trying to do a little bit of a compromise between the book and the movie, maybe somebody like Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, maybe. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sold on that. I'm just. I was thinking a little bit to myself, like who's like still a sweetheart, but also like can be kind of a bitch. And I think Reese can play that. There's probably a lot of other actresses that can, and also Reese is blonde. Not that that makes a difference. Um, But I would say three out of the five, just because the movie is enjoyable. The movie is funny. The book is not funny. I'm not even going to say it's anywhere near funny. Um, Because the subject matter in there is definitely more dark. They don't touch on any of the sort of dark stuff in, uh, in the movie, which is, which is nice. And I think that opens it up to a larger audience so that I get what the movie industry was doing with this. So I would agree. Three out of five. What would you say? Read the book or watch the movie? Watch the movie. I agree. Yeah. If you really want to dive into that book, uh, be warned. It's it's not a bad read. But just not understand. If you've, no. If you've watched the movie, though, please do not expect to like Andy. If you go into that understanding that Andy is not a likable character and probably a super unreliable narrator, the book is easy to read. I agree with that. Okay. All right. 